Section eight of Chimes from a Jester's Bells by Robert J. Burdett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Deborah Lynn. Chimes from a Jester's Bells by Robert J. Burdett. Section eight. The Story of Rollo. Seven. Learning Not To. One evening, near the latter end of the same day of the week, Rollo came home from school a few hours behind time, but making good steam and running fast. He saw his mother standing under the honeysuckle vines that bowered the piazza, but instead of hastening straight to her, as usual, he steered himself in the direction of the woodshed, expressing his intention, as he passed Jane at the kitchen window, of preparing enough kindling wood to last until the following Christmas. A boy never loses this disposition to be superfluously useful and voluntarily obliging after he has committed transgression, until he has safely passed his ninety-second year. After that time he is as liable to be self-assertive and impudent as a boy who has just broken a window is sure to be polite and respectful. His mother hailed him twice before he wanted to hear, but her voice came floating softly into his heart, and the little boy's habit of obedience asserted itself as he dropped the hatchet and slowly rounded to in quarantine. "'Rollo, dear,' his mother said, "'how came you to be so late?' "'Tain't late,' Rollo said. "'I run all the way from school fast as I could. "'Didn't you see me run down the path?' "'But,' his mother said, "'school closes at three o'clock, "'and it is now half-past six. "'How does that come?' "'Oh, yes,' replied Rollo, "'rather too cheerfully for the occasion. "'I know now. "'Got kep in. "'Missed my geography lesson.' "'I think my little boy has missed a lesson,' "'his mother said gently, "'but it wasn't in one of his school books.' "'Why are you so late, Rollo? Where have you been since school closed?' "'Oh,' said Rollo, with an air of sudden recollection, "'I forgot. I had to go home with a sick boy. "'He pushed a bean up his nose so far he couldn't get it back again. "'Mighty sick. His folks think maybe he'll die.' "'And Rollo looked very sad as he thought of it. "'His eyes were bent upon his bare feet, "'as with prehensile toes he scraped a little fort in the dust of the path. "'It was a pathetic picture.' the dying boy with one barrel of his nose loaded with a single bean, slowly passing away from life with all its cares, its disappointing experiments in nasal agriculture, so often resulting in naught but weariness of flesh and vexation of spirit, his weeping friends grouped about the bed, vainly imploring him to make one more effort to transform his nose into a catapult, firing a common pole-bean, Phaseolus vulgaris, into space at short range. Small wonder that Rollo's heart sank as he reviewed the incident which never occurred. Rollo, his mother said, without commenting upon the tragedy, your teacher was here an hour ago and said you had not been in school this afternoon. How did that happen, Rollo? Forgot, said Rollo. Thought all the time it was Saturday. It was yesterday I got kept in. Rollo, said his mother, look at me. "'Didn't you go off with the boys and go in swimming this afternoon?' Rollo tried hard to look at his mother, but all the beans that never went up, all the noses that never were, seemed loaded upon his head. He couldn't tell what made it so heavy. Look into his mother's face? Why, there was nothing else in all this world of beauty at which he loved so well to look. But somehow his head would not come up. He added a strong bastion to the little fortress in the dust, as though it might strengthen his position. But he only said, "'No,' and his voice sounded so strange and harsh 
that he looked around guiltily, as though half expecting to see Gubb Smoucher, the meanest boy in school, standing there saying it over his shoulder. "'Don't look down at your feet, Rollo,' his mother said. And it seemed to him he never heard her speak so gently. "'Look into my face, just while you answer me. Weren't you down at the creek this afternoon?' Rollo did try once more, but there was only one thing in the world that was heavier than the heavy head that hung upon his drooping shoulders, and that was the heart of a frightened boy beating like a great trip-hammer, as though it would pound its way through the walls of his breast and show itself and all its thoughts and secrets in spite of the lying lips that were trying so hard to hide them. Rollo strengthened the redoubt a little and made the parapet higher before he answered, "'Nope, but your hair is all wet, my son,' his mother said. "'Yes, I know,' replied Rollo. "'That's sweat. "'Run so fast to get home on time, that's what made that.' "'And your shirt is on wrong side out,' said his mother. "'Yes,' Rollo said, "'I knowed that. "'Put it on that way on purpose this morning, for luck. "'Always win when you play keeps if your shirt is wrong side out.' "'But one sleeve of your shirt is not on your arm at all,' his mother said, "'and there is a knot tied in it. "'How did that happen?' Why, Rollo said, Tobe Wilkerson done that when I wasn't looking. But what were you doing with your shirt off, Rollo? Rollo constructed a lunette in front of his fort very slowly, for his stronghold was being sorely pressed by the besiegers. By and by, he said, I didn't have it off at all. Tobe just took and tied that knot in when I had it on. That's just what he done. And I didn't know it. He tied it in school. Deed and double he did. "'Tell the truth, Rollo, dear. Tell your mother.' Rollo planned a subterranean way of escape from his beleaguered citadel, for it seemed to him the lines were being drawn very closely about him, and he feared the time for the final assault was not very far away. He made another effort to lift his face, but his glances were glued to the ground. His eyes were in the dust. "'Honest Injun, Ma, he did. Honor br "'But somehow his voice, which started out brave and strong with Honest Injun, faltered and quavered away into a tremulous whisper when it tried to say honor bright. Like a good soldier forced into the enemy's uniform to fight under a flag he despises. His nervous toes hastily completed the line of retreat from a stronghold that was turning into a trap. My little boy, his mother said, very gently and softly. As she spoke, Rollo made one mighty struggle and this time he did manage to lift his blue eyes until they looked into his mother's brown ones, straight as a ray of sunshine. And then he only saw her for just a little moment, for a great mist of tears came drifting between his eyes and her dear face like a fog-bank coming up out of the sea, and that was all. Because now that he could not see her, though but a minute ago he wished he might not, the world seemed so big and lonely and dark to him, though just now he wanted some dark place in which to hide from her, that he reached out his arms to see if she were still there. As he touched her, as he sprang forward and clung to her, he set his foot on the little fortress in the dust, and crushed all his poor weak refuge of lies, its mean little hiding-places, all its frail bomb-proofs and its treacherous sally-ports, into the dust of which it was builded. He clung to her as though he would never, never let go of her again in all his life. His head had found its old pillow, never so soft and sweet and safe as now. Her arms were about his neck, hiding her little boy's face from everybody but herself. Even the rebellious little scalp-lock, that he could never brush down, 
looked pathetic as it drooped in its place like a dejected plume. She did not say much. Rollo's mother was one of those rare teachers who know when silence is the wisest and sweetest monitor and comforter in this garrulous old world. She led the little boy into the sitting-room, and sat down with him nestled in her arms, and sung the old cradle-songs over him just as she used to do. And Rollo's crying grew fainter, until at last the broken sobs and the low singing blended softly together, then ceased. The sun went down, and the twilight came creeping silently into the room. When Rollo's father came home, the lamps were not lighted. A great silver star, hanging in the rosy west, was looking in at the window, and there in the twilight and starlight Rollo's mother sat rocking, and the great big boy, with the tear stains on his grimy face, lay fast asleep in his mother's arms. And Mr. Holliday knew there had been trouble, and good medicine for it. So he stooped to kiss the little dusty face very gently, and thought, as he tiptoed out of the room, that after all Rollo's mother was right when she said that men who had once been babies never got entirely over it, but were babies a little bit when in pain or trouble all the days of their life. But they don't have their mothers to go to all their lives, and that's a good thing for a boy to remember before he forgets it. This wasn't the last time Rollo got into trouble, because trouble is a plant that is indigenous to the soil of this planet, so that it grows all the way along the road, from the slough of despond to the land of Beulah, on both sides of the path, thick as alders on a trout brook, tangled as dewberry vines, and vicious as poison ivy. So it happened that Rollo got into trouble once afterward, and the next time, and another time, and the time after that, and then again, and all the other times. And long after his old pillow had been taken away from his head, when he had learned to go to another comforter, often as trouble or sorrow came into his life, he recalled that quiet evening in his old home, with the daylight fading into twilight, and the stars lighting the twilight out of the world, he could hear her voice singing the cradle songs again, and he loved to read in the book of consolation, As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. So Rollo, crying himself to sleep in his mother's arms, was learning one of the hardest lessons in all this great kindergarten. How not to. Spell and define. Erasure, misfit, countermarch, blot, derailment, effacement, retrograde, politics, dissimulation. Construe facilis dissensus averni. What is the fare to Nevada? Which is easier for a flying machine to fly up or fly down, and why? Why, then, is it so much easier to lay down a promissory note than to take it up? Give an example. How long did it take Adam to get out of the Garden of Eden? And how long has it taken his family to get back? End of section 8